So um, we discovered this a couple weeks back, and I finally dug into it and put it together. And I didn't know this. Uh, in 1920, a referee in Michigan helped invent zebra stripes, those popular shirts that referees wear. And he was the first to ever wear them right here in Michigan. It's very cool. It is very cool. And the reason for this probably wouldn't surprise anybody. <laughs> Officials in sports definitely need to stand out so they don't get mixed up with players, especially in contact sports like football. So indeed, it was a football game in Michigan in 1920 when a referee had enough of interference with players due to the clothing he had been wearing to officiate games. Uh, back in this day, officials typically wore a white shirt, and the teams often wore white as well. So he decided it was trying to change his wardrobe. His name was Lloyd Olds. Yeah, and according to an in-depth article from Eastern Michigan University, Olds was officiating a football game in Ypsilanti between Michigan State Normal College, which is now called uh, Eastern Michigan University, and a team from Arizona. The away team was wearing an all-white jersey and pants, and during a play, the quarterback was looking for an open receiver and thought he found one. <laughs> he threw the ball to that open receiver, but it turned out to be the official. Yep, he was also wearing white, and it wasn't Lloyd's first experience being confused with the player. He had been officiating since 1914, said it happened several times before that game in 1920 that birthed an idea to fix the problem. Yeah, Lloyd found the owner of a sports shop in Ann Arbor, and the two worked to come up with an official uniform for, well, officials. <laughs> they wanted to make sure it would stand out and not be confused with the team's uniform, no matter what color they were wearing for a game. So they came up with a variation of what we see many referees wear today and have known for over 100 years now. Yep, at the time, the shirts were nothing like anyone had ever seen. Alternating thin vertical black and white stripes from sheets of fabric that were mended together front to back. It actually did not go over very well when he first appeared at his next game wearing this weird new outfit. Lloyd said it took a lot of criticism, or he took a lot of criticism and ribbing, but it was short-lived. Soon after, other referees in football and some other sports adopted the look, now iconic in sports. And of course, referees lived happily ever after and never received criticism of any kind ever again. <laughs> ever, ever again, especially in Detroit. And um, I'm trying to think of the sports where they wear the stripes. Football, obviously. Yeah. Basketball. Mm -hmm. Although um, NBA refs do not wear the black and white stripes. No, and you're I, right. I'm not sure why that is. Um, and baseball. Probably because their uniforms can't get mixed up with the players. Not really. Not as, no, not as easily. Hockey, though, they do. Yeah. Um, and I, I would think that's because of all the high contact. You really want to make sure the refs. Yeah, are, and they still get slammed around sometimes. I'm amazed at how well the refs stay out of the way of the puck. I mean, they got a lot of motivation. <laughs> yeah. And you're on skates, too. Well, they do wear some sort of padding, though, don't they? Oh, yeah. They have some protecting clothing on. Just like the well. umpires for baseball. Yep. But the umpires in baseball also, uh, I don't believe, have ever worn the stripes, at least not at the major levels. Um, they usually wear like a dark gray. And, of course, baseball. What just... about boxing? Hmm. I'm trying to remember. No, usually they're wearing a suit. Yeah, I think the boxing referees are dressed up a little. Well, we'll look more into this. Yeah. But there was uh, some other great sports news locally for Battle Creek. Uh, hockey will be returning to the rink in downtown Battle Creek this fall. That'll be exciting. Yeah, it's been a couple of years without uh, hockey. Of course, the last team that played was the uh, Battle Creek Rumblebees. A team called the Battle Creek Colonels will represent the city in the United States Premier Hockey League. Uh, they will start playing in September at the rink at 75 Houston Street in downtown Battle Creek. 
Yep, the United States Premier Hockey League is uh, described as kind of a dub- developmental organization, and uh, players range from 16 years old to 20 years old and are all vying for recruitment at a college level or for junior leagues. Yep, the Colonels will be in the Premier Division, which includes teams from other states like Ohio and Minnesota, but even some further out around the United States. Uh, and as I said, September is when they will start playing, and they will play until March of next year. We do not have a schedule yet. We'll keep an eye on that. And we don't know what the uniforms and logos will look like. So we'll also uh, see what happens in the spring and summer as they get ready to play this fall. Some exciting sports stuff to look forward to uh, this year. Yeah. And the Battle Creek Rumblebees, um, (laughs) we got to go to a couple of their games. And I'll give them credit. They did a good job putting on some fun things. But the team just did not do very well. (laughs) Well... I don't think they had much of a chance to get established. I, I wouldn't blame the team. No, um, they had a lot working against them. They were added to their league uh, pretty late, but they won one out of 48 games. <laughs> yeah. Just one. And then the COVID pandemic came along. And, right. Uh, kind of pretty much suffocated a lot of stuff. Kind of knocked them out. Uh, but yeah, this fall, you can check out the Battle Creek Colonels in downtown Battle Creek. That'll be a lot of fun. Yeah, and if you want to read about either of these stories, you can find them at 953wbck.com on our Facebook page or on the app. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back. It's Lacey and Brandon. Trial. And we'll get into that with the sports report coming up down Michigan's back roads today. Take a pause. It may be something we humans. 95.3 WBCK. Joining us now is Ron Rademacher of Michigan's Back Roads with another trip down uh, one of the less beaten paths. How you doing today, Ron? I'm doing terrific. How about you? I'm doing well. I'd be doing a lot better if we had a little bit of sunshine, though. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Then we all get spoiled, you know. And, and remember, uh, in about uh, two months, everybody will be complaining about how hot it is. Not me. <laughs> I don't do it. I don't do it. I will. I'll take it any day over the frigid weather. I'll take it any there day over go. the frigid weather, but I'll still complain. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to complain because it's my right. <laughs> it is your so, right. So this right. is the primeval forest trail. Sounds very yeah. interesting. What do we know about this? This is a this, there, this is a fascinating place that very few people know anything about. Uh, and... Uh, uh, this is the Forest Primeval's Warren Woods State Park. Now, this is way down uh, near uh, near Three Rivers. Actually, near it's just north of Three Oaks. And everybody's heard of Warren Dune State Park. Yeah. And it's a fascinating story how that was created. You can hear the whole story. It's told in the Great Corset Crisis. And I have a podcast link that tells all about that. But this was forest was also created by Mr. Warren. And it's 300 acres of a climax forest. This is a timber that has never been cut. It's the last remaining climax forest in lower Michigan, 300 acres. Wow. And when you walk in there, um, the, the trails take you, you've got about three, three and a half miles of trails that go along the river and through the woods. The trees, the treetops uh, in some cases are 60 and 80 feet above your head. Wow. And they form such a complete canopy because they're so old that even on the hottest day, Lacey, <laughs> there'll be cool and shade down in the forest. I will keep that in mind on those hot days for something to do. <laughs> yeah, this is a, a, a fantastic place, and it's hard to describe it in, in words. When you, you can go in on the south side, and that's the state park area, 
only open in season, but on the north side of the woods, uh, along the Warren Woods Road, there is a place to park, and you can walk in that way, but you can't drive in. And uh, you can walk down along the Galen River. There's a wonderful story told about some clay that's in that river that was considered to be magical. It had uh, medicinal qualities, and if you look at the old newspaper articles, it talks about spring must be here because... The crazies from Chicago are out in the woods uh, <laughs> rolling around in the mud. <laughs> and uh, this is all covered in, in that, that podcast I mentioned because it's too good a story to pass up, but it's it's too long for this. So uh, there's a nice boardwalk that takes you down uh, from the, the state park side to the river, and there's a beautiful suspension bridge that goes across. It's about 40 steps down, very easy. Almost anybody can handle this. And you can have a great walk through. You're going to find wildflowers that don't grow anywhere else in this part of Michigan because of the unique environment that is created by this ancient forest. So how did this manage to stay preserved when pretty much every other area in Michigan, uh, the lumber industry, took well, everything out? Exactly. Well, the long and the short, Mr. Warren was a very was a, a local turkey farmer. He became wealthy when he created the Featherbone Corset, Christ, uh, Corset Company. And he was had just made fabulous amounts of money. So he did two things at the end of his life. One, he saw that he owned this property that had never been logged off. So he uh, offered it to the state of Michigan with a provision that it would be, remain a state for a state park and never be cut. Okay, and would be available to the to the people of Michigan. And that's the same way that Warren Dunes State Park was formed. He went out there, and there were farmers out there who had their forty acres and a mule on the homestead program. And we were going broke because they couldn't grow anything in the sand. So yeah. he bought their property from them at a premium price, thousands of acres. And at his death, he bequeathed that to the state of Michigan with the provision that it would be available to the people of Michigan as a state park. So those both uh, were because this man saved, wait, made so much money uh, yeah. from a, a corset company that he invented. Oh, we're glad that he did that, and uh, this sounds like a beautiful place to explore, and uh, I'm sure Lacey, in the middle of July, may want to go there several times. <laughs> and be I, I can tell you, when you, if you go down to uh, Warren Dune State Park in the middle of the summer, oftentimes the rangers there are turning people away because the park is full. Oh. And you can turn around and drive eight miles east, and you'll come to this park. I've been there in the summertime where there are only two other cars in the entire place. Wow. That sounds oh, like they have, a... facil- they have they have decent you know primitive facilities there, but there's great places to have picnics. There's a nice river. The kids can play. I mean, it's it's a fantastic unknown forest way down in the southwest part of Michigan. It sounds like absolutely heavenly. I always love these little off the beaten path places that uh, most of us have probably never heard of and wouldn't have a chance to check out otherwise. Yeah, it's it's a very cool spot. And uh, I've got a link up there, of course, uh, on michiganbackroads.com that tells you how to get there. And there's there's uh, directions. And, and if you just want to read about it in the book, uh, The Happy House there in Battle Creek carries my books. And uh, so you can get it uh, in the books as well. All right. Ron Rademacher from Michigan Backroads. We appreciate you stopping by this morning. Uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Hey, thanks for having me. And thanks for letting me uh, go ahead there with the shameless plug. <laughs> oh, always. Always. Have a, good, have a good weekend, right. Ron. You guys have a good one. Thank you. But First State Representative Jim Hosma is joining us to talk about the latest state business. Good morning. Good morning, Lacey. Good morning, Brandon. Good to see you. My pleasure.
uh, big announcement came down. Uh, was it earlier this week that it happened? Right. Uh, this it's my weeks and days run together. So <laughs> they're all rainy these last couple of weeks. Yeah, and, and, and cool. cloudy. Yes. Yeah, uh, but uh, <laughs> long-serving uh, U.S. Representative Fred Upton uh, announced that he is going to retire and not run for a term this fall. Did that catch you by surprise a little bit? It did. I think it caught a lot of people by surprise because he had sent out uh, mailers. Uh, He had been up on television and the radio. Um, I think he was sensing the pulse of the new 4th Congressional District. Uh, They probably, my surmise is they probably did a poll and uh, he thought it was going to be closer than he would have wished and it might become negative in the Republican primary where he faced Bill Heisinga. And consequently, I think he decided to go out on his own terms. Yeah, uh, it was very unexpected. And um, we know that he gave some statements and uh, thanked everybody uh, for his support over the years. And uh, but yeah, wow, it was kind of a shocker. As recently as just two weeks ago, uh, he was in um, Port Custer. We were at the um, Battle Creek Unlimited to discuss the uh, VA Medical Center and how the announced potential closure of that VA medical center could be combated. So he's not currently the representative of the Battle Creek area, and it was impressive to see someone from St. Joseph over in Fort Custer to talk about that and what we could do to combat that. Well, it's a lot shorter of a drive for many uh, people in St. Joseph County uh, to go to Battle Creek than it would be to go to Grand Rapids. There are a lot of reasons that the Battle Creek VA center should uh, remain open, um, it's midway between Kalamazoo and Battle Creek. Um, it's away from um, most other uh, diversions. Um, it's out in the country. It's on the North Country Trail. Um, it's uh, a great center for uh, disabled veterans uh, to receive treatment. It's principally a psychiatric treatment center, and that's the kind of place that I think would be most suitable for that kind of treatment rather than busy Wyoming, Michigan. I I would happen to agree with you as well. Um, what do you think it's going to take to, to convince um, the powers that be that it needs to stay there? I think it's going to take a lot of work over a, a period of a long period of time. It's like those BRAC closings you might remember in relation to the Federal Center uh, and the um, Air National Guard base. Um, we have a lot of people involved in um, bringing our city's uh, argument to the right ears. And it's great to have somebody like uh, former Congressperson Joe Schwartz involved in this. Uh, he, I learned this just a couple of weeks ago, he actually grew up at the VA Medical Center because his father was a medical doctor and that's where he lived as a young man. Oh, wow. Young boy, I should say. Yeah, it's it's funny how how that happens. Like you couldn't do that now, but uh, back then uh, it wasn't uncommon. Just like a, a sheriff actually lived at the sheriff's department, and that's where his family was. If you haven't been out there, it's a it's a big facility, and of course, uh, we've got the Silver Star Apartments right on Clark, adjacent to that. Um, that's a, a key issue too. Um, what happens to Silver Star Apartments if the VA Medical Center were to go? It's not happening anytime soon, but hopefully we can nip this in the bud early on. How can uh, residents in the area help this effort? I'm not sure. Uh, I think uh, this was announced just recently. Uh, I think early efforts are to strategize in context of who can speak to whom um, in Washington. And um, 
argue why the VA Medical Center on Armstrong Road should belong in Battle Creek. I think the best way is probably to communicate to elected leaders, um, probably Peter Meyer, um, Gary Peters, Debbie Stabenow, and Fred Upton, who's shown an interest in coming over to uh, Battle Creek. So I'm hopeful um, that people in Battle Creek might communicate to our U.S. Senator's offices and to Peter Meyer's office, our third congressional district representative currently. Uh, we wanted to touch on a couple of things related to uh, Governor Whitmer this week. Uh, one was uh, she signed a bill to speed pre-approval of health care. Um, how is this uh, supposed to help residents? Well, uh, there's a limit now of, I believe it's eight days, within which the um, insurer, health insurer, has to decide whether a procedure or some sort of medical treatment is going to be approved. I'm hopeful that this will be an improvement so that there won't be an inordinate amount of time spent on trying to get authorization from an insurer. However, Uh, I could foresee a possibility that uh, lots of insurers are going to reflexively just issue disputes in the first few days just so they don't get caught flat-footed and uh, are deemed to have um, concurred in the um, medical treatment that they haven't yet authorized. So I I think it'll be interesting to see if there are uh, unforeseen complications associated with this and, and that many um, medical procedures which might have been authorized right out of the chute are going to be disputed just to give the insurer more time to determine what to do about these specific um, um, procedures or treatments that need pre-authorization. So we do know that uh, Governor Whitmer vetoed suspending the state gas tax. Uh, however, she did propose a 6% tax suspension Um how do you think that would help enough, and how likely do you think that is to pass? I think that uh, there is a likelihood that the uh, Senate, uh, the Michigan Senate, and uh, the Michigan House appropriations leaders and the governor will be negotiating on this. It seems to be that um, a suspension of that tax, which um, does not go directly to uh, roads will be an improvement in relation to what was proposed uh, a few weeks ago. I, I voted in support of the pause on the gas tax, but um, it didn't uh, make sufficient approval for immediate effect in the state Senate. So consequently, it wasn't going to take effect until 2023 anyway. Gas prices are a little bit diminished, not very much, not as much as I would like to see. So I think that There is appetite for some reduction in uh, taxes at the pump. Uh, Governor Whitmer indicated as much when she was one of the six governors who signed a letter to the president asking for suspension of the federal gas tax. Uh, This was two or three weeks ago. So I think there will be some relaxation of some uh, tax on gas at the pumps sometime by late spring. Do you think uh, that would help enough, though? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if that uh, would get passed along to the consumer. I think that it, it's remarkable when I uh, drive about where I can find gas much more cheaply. So I'm not sure what that means in relation to uh, how important uh, taxes are in relation to pumping up the price. But 
for example, in Albion, I can get gas first part of this week for like three eighty three a gallon. And even in Battle Creek, you can find gas on 20th Street for, I think, three sixty nine a gallon right now. And then just down uh, Dickman Road, you might see gas at four oh nine a gallon. So it's, uh, as always, uh, important for the buyer to look and be aware of gas prices in the community. But your point is well taken. Does that help much? And I guess a lot depends on what happens in, of all places, Ukraine and how that impacts uh, our gas prices, that uncertainty over there and importation or now non-importation of Russian oil to the United States. And then uh, another move as uh, we start to wind it down uh, that came down last night, uh, Governor Whitmer filed a lawsuit seeking to help are seeking to keep abortion legal in the state if the Supreme Court rolls back the landmark Roe v. Wade ruling. Just want to get a couple thoughts on that. She filed that in the Oakland County Circuit Court. Uh, It's her team's intent to ensure that that goes directly to the Michigan Supreme Court for immediate action. Her intent is to ensure that she gets in front of um, any possible... um, erosion of the Roe v. Wade uh, holding, which is 50 years old this next January. Uh, There's widespread expectation that Roe v. Wade is going to be weakened or overturned in June 2022 by the U.S. Supreme Court. So she's trying to ensure reproductive freedom uh, remains enshrined in Michigan constitutional law on a privacy right that she contends is in the due process clause of the Michigan state constitution. All right. Uh, State Representative Jim Hotsma, uh, we very much appreciate you joining us this morning. Thanks for uh, continuing to invite me. It's almost I live in Level Park and it's almost as quick for me to get to where you're at temporarily here over in the Nazareth area as it was to get to um, your studio on Golden (laughs) Avenue. And at least we don't have snow by which Brandon and and Rank have to (laughs) push me out of the driveway as was so back in February. Yeah. I still say, uh, I, if you two could come together to uh, get you out of the snow, you and rank that is, then uh, shouldn't we all be able to work together to take care of state business? And Fred Upton was a good example of that. He uh, served well across the aisle and within his caucus. Yeah. Well, I, thank you. We, we will miss him. And uh, again, we thank you for coming in this morning. And we will definitely talk to you again soon. You're welcome. Have a great weekend. Stay you warm. Well. It doesn't have the same ring, does it? No. Uh, so do you have a spring bucket list? I, I think we have kind of put together, I don't know about spring, kind of for the whole year, a few things that for we the want warmer, to do. Yeah. yeah. Our warmer weather bucket list is what we kind of have, but, uh, maybe we should consider making a spring bucket list. Maybe we should. Uh, of course, a couple of things were ones that Ron Rademacher had oh, inter- yeah. introduced He's, us to. I absolutely love the ideas he comes up with. I don't know where he finds these places, but uh, they're generally ones I literally have never heard of. Yeah, but uh, we do have a list of uh, some activities and things you can do in the spring if you're looking for something fun to do as the weather hopefully gets nicer. (laughs) Yeah, like uh, morale hunting. And I will definitely be doing a little bit of that when it gets around. Uh, It's a short window in Michigan when you can 
find the tasty little morsels, a wonderful springtime delicacy, because they are expensive if you want to buy them at the store. Well, if you find a bunch and you want to sell them, it's a good way to make a little extra money, too. You could do that, too, but I would rather keep them and eat them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Morel fruiting season can last anywhere, typically from late April to mid-June. Depends on the location and kind of depends on what the weather's been like as well. Absolutely. Uh, But uh, the weather we're having right now, going to make for some very good morel hunting. That is true. Uh, Tulip time. That is something you don't want to miss. I think uh, everybody should at least go check it out at least once. Um, It's uh, the annual celebration honors all things Dutch and has been a tradition 92 years. And it's such a beautiful backdrop when you go there and you see all the flowers and they've got the windmill. Of course, it takes place in Holland and people travel from all over the world to go to this, but uh, well, if you live in this area, it's just a hop, skip, and a jump away. Absolutely, and uh, six million tulips will be in bloom. That is a lot of flowers. It is a lot of flowers. Opening day at Comerica Park. That is happening today, today. so you better uh, get up and go. And bundle up. <laughs> yep, baseball is back. The Tigers are hosting their home opener this afternoon. If the weather holds out, uh, the gates actually open in about two hours, and first pitch will be at one ten this afternoon. And the Tigers, uh, we've been mentioning in the sports reports, have kind of bolstered their roster, and they're really going to give it a push this year. And Jack White will sing the national anthem today as well. That alone is (laughs) worth uh, making a little trip across the state for. How about watching uh, some butterflies? Yeah, I know you're a big fan of butterflies. And it's the largest temporary tropical butterfly exhibition in the nation at Frederick Meyer Gardens in Grand Rapids. Yep, over 7,000 butterflies from over 60 different species bloom and are free to fly around the uh, Lena Meyer Tropical Conservatory each March and April. Uh, Visiting the Sculpture Garden at Frederick Meyer is also a bucket list item as well. But the butterfly exhibit, truly one of a kind. Yep, it's family friendly, friendly, and it's been around for 27 years. You can check that out as well. Maybe head up north and visit Mackinac Island's Grand Hotel. Yeah, and now I've, I haven't gotten to check out the inside of it yet, so uh, that might have to be on my bucket list. Yeah, maybe we'll make the journey up there again. We didn't go to the island when we went last time. No, no. We just crossed the bridge and did that. But uh, the hotel has been welcoming guests since 1887 and will open doors for its 136th season on May 6th. You can enjoy dinners overlooking the Straits of Mackinac, tour the island on a horse-drawn carriage, or explore the grounds. Uh, could be a fun activity. Yeah, and uh, something you could probably do a little bit closer to home. How about grab lunch at one of the old school drive-ins? Absolutely. We love our Coney dogs. <laughs> Certainly do. Olive burgers, root beer. A uh, lot of uh, Michigan main, has uh, many drive-in restaurants. I think spring's the perfect time to visit. Many of them don't open until spring either, and it's kind of one of those early signs that spring is here. Yeah, absolutely, and there's plenty of those to enjoy locally. And then finally, enjoy Michigan wines. Lots of options and places to do this. Yeah, we have over (laughs) 150 wineries across the state, so uh, you should never have a dry cup. (laughs) No, and uh, that's something we enjoy doing as well. Um, there's many, including uh, the Grand Traverse area, but there's many in the southwestern Michigan region as well. I think you and I go to one at least one each year. That's about our average, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, but if you're still looking for something to do and uh, something a little closer to home, how about the carnival? Yeah, there's a carnival that is set up at Lakeview Square Mall. It's starting today. 
and uh, said to have some of the treats that you would expect at the carnival and probably some of the rides as well. We've kind of struggled to get a lot of details yeah. uh, about... <laughs> there's there's going to be rides. There's going to be uh, fair food. They're going to have bracelets. I don't know how much all of these things cost, but uh, it's going to be there through the 16th, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so it'll give you lots of opportunities uh, to stop out there, at least for one day. Yep. And you'll find it, uh, it's in the parking lot at the Lakeview Square Mall, and it's just outside of the Barnes & Noble store. Yep, all right. So it's something you can do right in town uh, for the next couple of weeks. Well, we got to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be back with perhaps a cash code. So the band, very unexpectedly, because they're my favorite, uh, everyone knows that that knows me, uh, unexpectedly dropped a new song yesterday. Uh, their first original song since 1994. Uh, it doesn't happen very often. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it wasn't just a new song. Uh, did they drop a video too? Yeah, there is a video. Um, it was released at midnight London time, which was in the late afternoon yesterday. So I got a chance to listen to it. And there's a important reason. This wasn't just a random, hey, we're going to drop a song. No. Hello, it's been 28 years. Yeah. <laughs> It's called Hey Hey Rise Up, and the legendary prog rock band uh, recorded it in support of Ukraine. Of course, uh, the country's still facing attacks from Russia, just a horrible situation. Yeah, um, but not surprisingly, one of their famous members, uh, not part of it. Yeah, Roger Waters did not participate. Uh, the only two original members, David Gilmore and Nick Mason, uh, they were joined by the longtime bassist who's toured with the band, uh, Guy Pratt, and a keyboardist, Neaton Sawney. Uh, the singer from Ukraine is named Andrei Kailovnik. Um, he is from the Ukrainian band Boombox, and he actually is the one that sings the vocals on this track. And then the band uh, kind of did a cover of his song, and the song is actually goes back to World War I. Uh, wow. Ukrainians would sing it then. We do have a clip. Uh, it's about a minute long that we want to play, so you can get a chance to hear what it sounds like. isn't it? It's intense and it is very haunting. It is and like in classic Pink Floyd style there's beauty in it as well. All those things combined. Yeah, the band uh, recorded the track on Wednesday, March 30th and it, it, as you mentioned features Col... Col, Col it's a tough pronunciation. There's a <laughs> lot of consonants. Uh Vocals from his performance of the Ukrainian protest song. Uh, the Red Vibra... 
Oh, man. It sounds like I've been drinking and I have not. It's a red verburnum in the metal. There you go. Verburnum. Oh, yep. Uh, it was written during, as you mentioned, World War One. Uh, Pink Floyd translated the last line of the protest song, which reads, Hey, hey, rise up and rejoice. Um, and that's how they came up with the title. Yep. And uh, we do have an article on our website, 953wbck.com. Uh, there's a link to listen to the track and watch the video, and there's also the artwork that they used for the single, uh, which is available. The proceeds from the song will go toward the Ukrainian Humanitarian Relief Fund. Um, it is on digital platforms. Uh, you can uh, find links also to that. Just a really awesome thing for the band to, to do, to give this singer... A little boost. Well, I don't think it's to give the singer a boost, but uh, I think you mentioned yesterday that David Gilmore has ties to the country. He does. He has family members that are uh, directly uh, Ukrainian. Um, so he's, I don't know if they're living in there. I didn't really go too far into that, but yeah, he has, this is affecting him um, directly and another reason that he wanted to get involved in, in the band. Well, and, uh, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with a look at your weather. 95.3 WBCK. Joining us now, Scott Bertram, host of the Radio Free Hillsdale Hour. How you doing today, Scott? All is well. How are things with you? Uh, I mean, I could use a little sunshine, but I guess I shouldn't complain too much. You'll get it soon enough. Apparently, I'm not enough sunshine for her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been, you know, same here as there, I'm sure. It's either rainy in uh, 40 three or it's kind of maybe a little sunny but 32 so that's what we got to deal with right now now next week is supposed to be better let's keep our fingers crossed ready for the bike ride to start <laughs> yes uh so what do you got coming up this weekend uh this weekend on uh, the radio free hillsdale hour uh you know uh, pbs had a uh, new documentary the ken burns documentary on benjamin franklin debuting this week and uh, so we turn to one of our Ben Franklin experts, uh, Dr. Kevin Slack from our politics department. He's written a book on Franklin a couple of years ago now. And we start a, a multi-part interview with him. And uh, this week we talk about Franklin as enlightenment philosopher to uh, sort of give you a little more information and maybe a slightly different take on Ben Franklin this week with Kevin Slack. Uh, Christopher Rufo, very involved in his work on critical race theory and schools and how parents can become involved in the fight. He was on campus these past two weeks as a Pulliam fellow here at Hillsdale, teaching a quick uh, a two-week class for some of our journalism students and also giving a public lecture. And so we spent some time with him talking about his work and, again, how others can become involved. And then Blake McAllister, one of our uh, philosophy professors here at Hillsdale, He's done some research on the problem of evil and suffering. Uh, in short, uh, the age-old question, uh, you know, is, uh, if God is good, why is there evil? Why is there suffering? Why do bad things happen to good people? Those kind of questions. And so Blake McAllister from our philosophy department tries to address those as best he possibly can in our short time with him on this week's program. So we talk Ben Franklin, we talk uh, CRT, we talk uh, evil and suffering, all that coming up this week on the Radio Free Hillsdale Hour. All right, and of course you can hear that tomorrow morning right here on WBCK, that Benjamin Franklin documentary uh, that caught our eye. We like those kinds of things, so we're going to try to look that up uh, on PBS and give that a watch. looks pretty cool. Yeah, I think that debuted just this past week, a two-part documentary on Benjamin Franklin, who's a real interesting guy. 
Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Scott Bertram, host of the Radio Free Hillsdale Hour. Thank you so much for joining us this morning, and we'll talk to you again next week. Sounds great. Have a wonderful week.